You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Trey Quinn, the black nationalist who is among the organizers of Denver's racial justice protests, is the first to suspect that Mickey Windecker isn't a badass Antifa warrior. Trey doesn't have any concrete evidence. All he's got is a hunch. There's just something off about Mickey. And so I am told by a couple friends that Mickey's got some suspicious connections and ties that they're unsure of. They don't know if we should be doing any action with them specifically. So Trey comes up with a test for Mickey. I'm going to call Mickey and I'm going to propose something and then I'm going to see what happens. Trey meets up with Mickey at one of the demonstrations and tells him that he has concerns. The protesters aren't being radical enough. This peaceful protest stuff, it ain't working. What if we did more? And so I start speaking in hypothetical. I'm like, hypothetically, what if, what if this happened? What if an enclave was lit on fire? in the middle of the night. And he was like, oh yeah, I got some guys who could probably do that, you know what I'm saying, who are probably down. And so I, at this point I recognize my vague language and his specific language. And so he's trying to lead me to say specific things. And so I just still am keeping it vague. I'm like, well, hypothetically, if, if, if you were down to do something like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, could we get it done? And he was like, oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? I got the right guy for the job. This is how he's talking. So once we're done, I'm like, I, I think he's, I think he's fucking suspicious. I knew during that, in the middle of that conversation, I knew because he was, he was trying to get it to happen. He was just waiting for me to set the, the date, the time, the meeting spot. And then for sure he was trying to get it to happen. I'm Trevor Aronson from Western Sound and iHeart Podcast. This is Alphabet Boys. Episode 5, Give Him Hell.
If you're willing to accept the FBI's internal reports as 100% accurate, then Mickey didn't appear to realize that he'd failed Trey Quinn's test. In fact, Mickey and the FBI seemed to take Trey seriously. In an internal FBI report, Scott Dahlstrom, the agent who was Mickey's handler, describes Trey's hypothetical question to Mickey. What if an enclave was lit on fire in the middle of the night? As, and I quote, a firebomb plan. As if it were an actual plan. So Mickey's primary goal as an FBI informant is to gather evidence that demonstrators are about to, or are willing to, commit violence. And a way to push people in that direction is by subtly encouraging violence while sowing distrust. This stuff with Trey and the firebomb plot is happening in late August 2020, about three months after Mickey first arrived on the scene in Denver. Mickey had by now sidled up to activists with the Young Democratic Socialists of America, or YDSA. Mickey's association with the YDSA activists was critical to his ability to infiltrate the protesters. His new YDSA friends had given him credibility, which he badly needed in order to maintain his cover as an Antifa warrior. Because, let's be clear, this Mickey dude, he was suspicious. Mickey dressed like a biker. He often used crude language that isn't tolerated within the activist groups, including racist, homophobic, and transphobic slurs. Plus, Mickey was old. A guy approaching 50 in a crowd of protesters who were mostly teens and 20-somethings. But Mickey's association with his YDSA friends acted as a kind of shield against suspicion. The other activists would see Mickey hanging around with these young allies, and so the thinking went. If they trusted him, then Mickey must be legit, right? As a part of Mickey's ploy to entrap protesters, he participates in a group on an encrypted messaging app that includes his new YDSA friends. Mickey tells everyone in the chat about how Trey is planning some sort of firebomb plot. And Mickey suggests that they all meet for dinner to talk it out. I think it was at a Chili's or Applebee's. This is Zeb Hall. And for the record, it's a Chili's, according to the FBI's internal files. So Zeb drives to Chili's. And, you know, I meet him at this restaurant. And, you know, they say, hey, we just talked to Trey. And he said he wanted to go blow up a white supremacist bar. And he wanted us to help him out. And, you know, I was like, holy fucking shit. Just to be crystal clear about this, Trey didn't mention the firebomb plot to any of the YDSA kids, as far as I could corroborate. Only to Mickey, as part of the test. Mickey then, and I'm connecting dots here, but I believe this is the accurate course of events. Mickey tells the YDSA activists about what Trey is supposedly planning. The white supremacist bar as a target? That appears to be Mickey's invention. The FBI claims, in its internal report, that Mickey tells Zeb and the YDSA activists to stay away from Trey. Although it's not stated specifically in the report, the way it's written suggests that Mickey did this out of concern that Trey is violent, that the firebomb plot is real. And so, stay away, kids. That kind of thing. But that's not the way Mickey frames his warning about Trey to this group he's gathered at Chili's. Instead, Mickey invents something out of thin air. He tells them that he thinks Trey might be working for the FBI. Mickey seemed like super concerned, like Trey was an informant. Mickey reminds everyone that Trey is a felon. And as a felon, Mickey claims, he's got an incentive to be an informant. And just look, here he is talking about a firebomb plot. The gaggle at Chili's seems to agree. Trey 
this leader of the demonstrations in Denver, the guy must be a snitch. Then I started getting concerned about it. Mickey is trying to discredit Trey. Trey had always been upfront with activists that he had a criminal record. He had even told Mickey about it. Here's Trey again. I'm a felon, so I don't keep my identity secret. Back when Trey was a college student, he was into the rave scene and into drugs. He sold drugs, too, and participated in some robberies. But by 2010, he'd stopped using, and he was trying to go straight. That's about when a friend of his was short on cash and faced eviction. Trey wanted to help, so he called one of his old contacts. And so I called up my homie, and I was like, hey, you know, we're short on some money. If you can spot us some, then I'll get you back. And he was like, hold on, let me call my homie. He's like, this dude got me. If you can get him for me, you just keep whatever, whatever he gets. I just want get backs. And so I was like, all right, I'll do it. So basically, Trey's friend gives him the name of a guy who had ripped him off. Trey's friend just wants revenge. Rob that guy, he tells Trey, and you can keep all the money. We didn't have any guns, and so I brought my axes. I had two uh, two axes. And so my friend had one, and I had one, a wood, uh, like a wood chopping axe. We get into this uh, to this dorm room, and I end up breaking through this kid's door, and I hit him in the head with the flat side of the axe. Um, it still cuts him. It still fucking gashes open his head, and there's blood everywhere. I get in a fight with his roommate. I end up breaking his eye socket in the fight, and his friend had a big old gash in his head, and we didn't get anything, and he was calling for people who weren't in the dorm. I stayed in that dorm before, so I know the walls are paper thin. He's calling down the hallway, and so it's just a whole, a whole mess. Trey ended up getting 14 years in prison, but he was granted parole after serving five and a half. Yeah, that was, it was a trying time, but it definitely needed to happen. Trey says the felony conviction in the prison time helped him straighten out his life. He's married now, with a young child, and he's running a painting business. The criminal life, it's in the past for Trey. But it's Trey's past that allows Mickey to construct his lie. Mickey tells his allies among the activists that Trey must be an informant. Why else would a former felon be talking about a firebomb plot? The rumor about Trey starts circulating online and in person among the demonstrators. You see people accusing me of being an agent and you start seeing people saying, well, this is what Mickey said or this is what X said, who also would hear it from either this person or that person who would hear it from Mickey, right? And so I was like, hmm, I think Mickey's calling. I think Mickey's trying to set me up here as a Fed. It's a classic move for an informant to pull. Trey has been snitch jacketed. More after the break. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I can't say this with absolute certainty since Mickey won't talk to me, but I don't think Mickey really thought Trey was interested in any sort of firebomb plot. I think Mickey realized that he'd fallen for Trey's trap. By so eagerly suggesting he could make Trey's hypothetical firebomb plot happen, Mickey had revealed himself as an informant, or, at least, had given Trey plenty of reason to be suspicious. And that's why Mickey says Trey is an informant. Mickey has a lot to lose if Trey outs him as a snitch, specifically the thousands of dollars in cash the FBI is paying him regularly, about every two or three weeks. If too many activists in Denver think Mickey is cooperating with the cops, then he's no longer useful to the FBI. The FBI, of course, only pays informants when they're useful. By raising suspicions that Trey is an informant, Mickey can protect his cover and his income. If everyone suspects Trey's a snitch, this thinking goes, then they'll be focused on him, and no one will be suspecting Mickey's the real informant. This is a time-tested tactic called snitch-jacketing. And snitch-jacketing has a long, troubling history in the FBI. From his office, J. Edgar Hoover has placed on the entire organization his own rigid code of service, integrity, and morality. In a way that is true of few organizations, J. Edgar Hoover is the FBI. And that is our story. The practice of snitch-jacketing goes way back to the infamous days of the first FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover. Remember always that the spy and the saboteur or the destroyer carries no badge. He hides behind a hundred fronts. He pretends innocence. In 1956, Hoover secretly launched a program to, and these are the words Hoover used in his directive, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize political groups that Hoover and his FBI agents considered, quote, subversive to American society. Hoover's secret operation was called the Counterintelligence Program, or 
COINTELPRO. For 15 years, FBI agents and informants infiltrated political movements and disrupted them from within. While the targets of COINTELPRO did include some far-right groups, such as the Ku Klux Klan, Hoover's FBI focused its efforts primarily on left-wing political and civil rights movements, including communist groups, anti-war advocates, the American Indian Movement, the Black Panther Party, and even Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s organization. Snitch-jacketing was a common tactic of COINTELPRO, particularly in the Bureau's infiltration of Black political groups, such as the Panthers, whose leaders were very aware that they were being spied on by government informants. I'm the deputy chairman of the state of Illinois Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton. And uh, a lot of people don't understand the Black Panther Party's uh, relationship with white mother country radicals. A lot of people don't even understand. Here's Fred Hampton, a senior Black Panther official, speaking eight months before he was shot and killed in his bed during a pre-dawn raid in 1969. We know they have our pictures. We know they're looking for us. We know they want us. Informants and agents would accuse other members and even leaders of being informants. This would sow mistrust, create interpersonal suspicion, lead to dysfunction, and in some cases, wholesale collapse of these political and civil rights groups. Some informants even took on leadership roles in the very organizations the FBI was infiltrating. In 1975, the U.S. Senate formed a committee to investigate and reveal the extent of the FBI's abuses during COINTELPRO. Today, we are here to review the major findings of our full investigation of FBI domestic intelligence, including the COINTEL program and other programs aimed at domestic targets. The committee is commonly known as the Church Committee, after its chairman, the late Senator Frank Church of Idaho. As one example of the FBI's egregious, politically motivated actions during Hoover's COINTELPRO, Frederick Shores, the chief counsel of the Church Committee, described how agents sent letters to America's most prominent civil rights activist. Uh, the Bureau went so far as to mail anonymous letters to Dr. King and his wife, which finishes with this suggestion. King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do it. You are done. You are done. The FBI, under Hoover, sent an anonymous letter to King strongly suggesting that he kill himself before accepting the Nobel Peace Prize because the U.S. government was concerned that the award would lend global legitimacy to King's civil rights movement. That was the pretext for all of this, was, you know, threat of external and internal subversion. This is Mark Perisquia, an investigative reporter who has spent most of his career in Memphis, where Martin Luther King was assassinated in 1968. And of course, you know, at that time, there was a great paranoia still in this country, the 1950s, 1960s, of, you know, the, the communists, the Soviets had infiltrated all of our institutions and that there was this massive conspiracy. That's certainly what J. Edgar Hoover was selling that to the public. And there was a lot of, a lot of people believed that. Hoover believed that black America was particularly susceptible to subversion because of the history of oppression in this country and disadvantage. So they were constantly under watch. While the Church Committee revealed many of COINTELPRO's abuses, it's taken journalists and researchers up until more recently to reveal who was spying on black civil rights groups for Hoover's FBI. In 2010, Mark Perisquia brought to light that Ernest Withers, a celebrated civil rights era photographer who was particularly close to Martin Luther King, had been a paid FBI informant for 18 years. He was an informant. There's no question that records are mean several feet thick of everything that he did, but it might be even more helpful to think of him as an asset 
because I mean, it wasn't when you think of an informant, you think of somebody undercover playing a role. Ernest was, wasn't playing any role. He didn't have to. He was who he was, and he could go any place he wanted. And so if it's helpful to think of him more as an asset, I guess you could, but it's the same thing. He was getting paid for information, and he was supplying it, and it was harmful. We've come to view this era of FBI infiltration as a dark chapter in American history, as something that's over, never to be repeated. But while COINTELPRO no longer exists, its methods and tactics have survived in various ways inside the FBI. And in Denver, in the summer of 2020, Mickey started snitch jacketing, just as FBI agents and informants had done during the 60s and 70s. And just as happened back then, snitch jacketing undermined political organizers like Trey Quinn. He goes back and tells his group, he's like, oh, he's a fit, he's a fit. For Trey, the effects of this FBI subversion are subtle at first. The YDSA activists who'd gotten close to Mickey, they stopped communicating with Trey. And now I'm like, what's going on here? And so that kind of clues me in. It's like, all right, they were obviously scared of me for some reason. Later, Zeb Hall, who's fully enamored with Mickey, confirms Trey's suspicions. Zeb confides in his old friend, Mickey and the YDSA activists, they think you're a fed. And so that's, that's kind of when my ears started to perk up. But remember, Mickey failed Trey's test. Trey is pretty sure that Mickey is a fed. But Trey chooses not to respond in kind and snitch jacket Mickey to the Denver activists. Instead, Trey actively tries not to let Mickey know about his suspicions. When you suspect someone of being a cop in your group, you don't kick them out of the group. That's the last thing you do, because now you don't know what they're going to do. You, you keep them around. So Trey plays his own game of deception. He continues to exchange messages and coordinate with Mickey and to invite him to meetings and events. So he shows up to those and uh, acts quote-unquote friendly, um, but then there's a couple, he does a couple suspicious things even then. And then that's when the, uh, like, the narrative just progresses even more and more and more afterwards because yeah like one night we were supposed to meet up for an assembly he was supposed to be there he didn't show up and so as we're doing our group meeting it's a small general assembly and it just everything seems strange and then he calls and he's like the cops are the cops are circling around there's some suspicious activity he calls in he doesn't show up but he calls in cops around there's some suspicious activity around there you guys got to get out of there i got a guy who's down there he's giving me a call and so we're all like, well, who is he? Because he's not with us. So you just got a guy watching us? And so it, at that point, you know, it became super wild. Trey is on to Mickey. He doesn't trust him. Dude's a fed. But keep your enemies close. That's Trey's strategy. On the other hand, there's Zeb. Then I started getting concerned about it because... I didn't talk to Trey myself, and I can, I got to own that, you know. And I was just too afraid of it after everything I had been through as well. Zeb doesn't know what to think. Mickey says Trey's an informant, and maybe he's right. Besides, Zeb is naive. He doesn't think there's any way Mickey could be an informant. He's trying to dial up the violence, which, to Zeb at the time, doesn't seem like something a government agent would do. Why would you, as a law enforcement informant, 
want people and push people to go to a potentially violent protest. And once again, Mickey is about to take things up a notch. A full-on assault against a police station. That's after the break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So Mickey arrived on the protest scene in May 2020. By late August, he's become a legitimate leader the snitch jacketing has played no small part. As Mickey and his loyalists spread rumors that Trey Quinn is an informant, turning people against Trey, Mickey is ascendant among the protesters. And Denver activists have even given him a nickname, the Drill Sergeant. Come on, Drill Sergeant! I can't hear you! Mickey keeps telling the protesters that they need to do more. They need to get more aggressive. They need to get militant. In late August 2020, Mickey is with his two allies in the YDSA, Honor and Aiden. Honor and Aiden were the pair I'd mentioned before, young activists whom Mickey had turned into soldiers. They'd fan out during demonstrations and report back to him what was happening, acting as a kind of surveillance network for Mickey. Zeb goes to meet Mickey and his two unwitting allies at an apartment. The apartment is decked out with flags for the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, 
a socialist political party that the U.S. State Department has designated a foreign terrorist organization. With his claims of fighting for the Peshmerga, Mickey had said he was aligned with the PKK, which had given him additional credibility with the activists, brothers and sisters in socialism, or something. They had like a lot of uh, that PKK stuff with their house. I didn't know what the fuck that was until I met Mickey. Zeb looks over at a table in the apartment. It's covered with guns and other weapons. I'm like, holy fuck. So yeah, they had guns. Another activist there sees what Zeb sees. Mickey and a table full of guns. I walk in, there's guns, weapon, like medical supplies, literally looking like they're preparing for a genuine battle. But this activist is fearful of Mickey, so she agrees to let me record an interview with her as long as I agree not to use her name. We're sitting on our front porch in Denver. And I just, it was insane. What kind of gun? Were like handguns, rifles? Like rifles and everything. Like a, like a military style. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember. Like, I, I can like, I have this like vague mental image of what that apartment looked like, but it feels like a dream. But she reluctantly takes on a role in what Mickey and the group are planning. She agrees to tag along because she's worried about what her friends are about to do. Because I was like, this is going to go really badly. Like, I don't feel comfortable with them doing this alone. Because I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Let these, like, teenagers who I've cared about for, like, multiple years just get into these situations and not look out for them? Okay, so here's some context as to what's happening here. Starting in late August 2020, the Denver protesters begin to get more aggressive. According to about a dozen people I spoke to, Mickey is the one responsible for organizing and encouraging, at least in part, what morphed into coordinated attacks against Denver police stations. We are following some breaking news in downtown Denver right now. A protest calling for the end of the Denver Police Department has led to violence and property damage with fireworks shot at police, trees set on fire, and a standoff with officers growing more tense by the minute. Before Mickey's arrival on the scene, the demonstrations in the Denver area were mostly peaceful, organizing events like the violin vigil for Elijah McClain and Aurora. The police response to the peaceful protests had been brutal. Riot gear, bullhorns, pepper spray, and lines of cops coming in like stormtroopers. The heavy-handed police response had inspired something of an arms race. The protesters were becoming increasingly aggressive, and they were arriving at events ready for violence. They were wearing makeshift body armor and holding homemade shields. And it wasn't just the cops who were potential targets of aggression. Anyone seen as part of the establishment? They appeared to be fair game. A dangerous mob mentality had developed. Zeb starts to see this transformation, and it concerns him. I mean, he was having people go out there and do surveillance. He was talking about people getting fucked up. It's like uh, one night at the police station, I had to, to say uh, save this fucking reporter. I think her name is Addie something. I can't remember. In downtown Denver, near the police headquarters, Zeb observes a young local TV news reporter named Addie Guajardo trying to do a live shot during a protest that demonstrators had been calling Give Him Hell. Denver 7's Addie Guajardo has been following those protests all night. Addie, what are you seeing right now? As the TV anchor throws it to Addie, she's backing up as the camera follows her. She's visibly frightened. Her eyes are darting around as if she's waiting for someone to attack her. I'm going to back up a little 
little bit right now. Give me one second. We're going to try to get away from these protesters getting a little too close for comfort. And they were going to fuck this lady up and a few other other reporters. And I had to keep them away from her. Zeb is also on camera. He's dressed in jeans, wearing a flak jacket and a military style helmet. He pushes back several demonstrators who seem to be trying to intimidate the reporter and possibly even assault her. They're right here on 13th and Cherokee. There is a business owner right across the street they just started an argument with right now. They're right outside the police department where there is DPD and full riot gear. I'm sorry. As the reporter is doing her live shot, you can hear Zeb yell, get back, get away. He's trying to protect her from a mob that is growing increasingly violent and unpredictable. We're gonna, we're gonna send it back to you because we don't feel comfortable right now, Jason and Jacqueline, so we're gonna, we're gonna get back out of this right now. Zeb begins to realize that with his rhetoric and Mickey's organizing, it's all having a real effect. Things are changing, but it's also getting out of control. It's getting scary. Zeb wanted to move things to the next level, that's true. But Mickey, he's beginning to realize, is a blunt instrument. He's taken things too far. It's like you don't send a fucking lion to go get anyone some flowers. You know, you don't send a serial killer to go fucking hang out with your mom, you know. Yeah, you don't do that. And then things get really bad. And not just in Denver. The whole nation is reeling from political violence. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, on August 25th, 2020, a demonstration over the police shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake, results in a street brawl in which a 17-year-old white kid, Kyle Rittenhouse, shoots and kills two men and wounds a third. Two people were killed during another night of Black Lives Matter protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Investigators say it may have been a vigilante attack carried out by a young white man. Three days later, in Denver, demonstrators gather at a police building in the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood. Mickey had helped organize and hype up the protest. He was really promoting this event. This is Zeb. He was trying to say, hey, get as many people as you can to go to this event. Get as many people as you can to go. It was to get more people to go there and cause havoc. That's what I truly believe. But Mickey's event isn't a demonstration. It's an all-out assault. And the fighting begins to rage before Zeb can even get there. The DSA kids and I were supposed to go out, take photos and everything. Uh, I was going to take photos and, you know, be a medic if need be. We had just recently got a CPR certified, you know, and that's what we're supposed to do. But we never really, really, really made it by that police station or by the crowd. The protesters, ducking behind homemade shields, throw rocks and shoot fireworks at a line of police officers standing in riot gear. A metal fence separates the protesters from the line of cops. A few of the protesters take hold of a dumpster on wheels and together push it as hard as they can into the police fence, like a battering ram against the castle gate. The fence bows, but stays up. The police then start firing gas canisters at the rioters. The cops storm into the streets in riot gear and gas masks and holding rifles that fire pepper balls. The police are aggressive, like a riot squad unleashed. It was like they had been preparing for this moment. 
a local cop had posted a photo on social media of himself and other officers dressed in tactical gear. Let's start a riot, he wrote. Dozens of protesters are injured in the police response. The cops fire pepper balls, they break bones. Protesters are rushed to the hospital. One man is hit in the head by a Kevlar bag filled with lead, fired from a police shotgun. A stingball grenade explodes next to one woman. That knocks out her teeth. But the violence works. The cops effectively disperse the protesters. Mickey played a large part in the attack on the police building. He helped organize and promote the event. But he wasn't a lone actor. The violence broke out spontaneously. Dozens, if not hundreds of people, were hurling rocks and other objects at police officers. And it wasn't just protesters who were injured. Denver police reported injuries among more than 70 officers during that week of violence. Mickey wasn't responsible for the fire, but he and the FBI helped create the initial spark. And in Denver, the FBI's just getting started. Okay, so nobody can hear us, so they're all talking. Okay, so I talked to my dude. He's on board. Um, what he's going to do, he's coming in Tuesday, so what to figure we'll meet at. Nowhere like this on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, he'll walk you through what the game plan is. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hearse, season one of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter and Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. We believe this story is important and could result in changes to FBI oversight and public policy. But to have impact, people need to hear this story. So we need your help. First, tell your friends about the show. Personal recommendations are the best recommendations. Second, spread the word on social media. At alphabetboys.xyz, you'll find FBI undercover recordings and secret documents. You can share stuff the government never wanted public. Third, help us ride the algorithms by leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find us. And thanks for listening. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.